I said everything last night. <laughs> you missed it if you weren't here. No, this is just a humble invitation. I fell upon something, I entertained it, and it produced the goods. So I try to share it with my tribe. And that is the idea of obsession with self. That was what was brought, AA brought that back to the root of the problem, obsession with self. I don't believe that's the case. I believe there's a cause to that effect called obsessing over self. And the cause to me is you're identified as self. That's the only thing that keeps the obsession going is you think it's about you. If you really could feel it or at least entertain it as it's not about you, you would lose interest in it quickly. You wouldn't have to practice hard. You can do a lot of things, but you wouldn't have to practice hard if you just realized something wasn't you. You would lose interest in it. That's what occurs. That's what occurred to me. As soon as I started to entertain the thoughts that were appearing in my head weren't really about me, I actually lost interest in them. And when you lose interest in them, the obsessing over it diminishes. And when you obsess, when the obsessing over this idea of selfing diminishes, you have a tension in life to go other places than in that black hole of selfing. Yeah? And then light, and maybe beauty will arise a lot more for you. Maybe you'll have a sense of peace instead of believing the best you can entertain is that it, it will be okay later. You will sense an okayness now, not based on circumstances and situations. I don't know. There's a myriad, a lot of effects it brings about. Because you disengage from a system, a very failed system of thought and interpretation. And it is a system, self, selfing. It's called self-centeredness. It's the root that everything will be... The way we see life from self-centeredness is we see life as how it pertains to me, as the self. And of course, immediately, life's off because that's not what's happening. So, in my experience, what switched over very quickly was I used to look at life as what life is happening to me. And so you could play the victim, oh, life is happening to me, woe me, and, or life is happening to them better than me, and then envy, or whatever. But the real distinct feeling I have now about it is life's happening. It's just happening. It happens through you just as much as me. And the idea of the self-obsession is the loop of self-importance where life is happening, but you, your mind turns it into to me. And then it just riffs like a jazz musician on that theme. Like at the greatest John Coltrane you ever saw, but it plays basically the same note ad nauseum over and over again. And you just riff about life about you. And the you that you're obsessed with and concerned about isn't even you. It's like you're, you're worrying about a stranger. And, you know, the personality you think you are that's busily worrying about how you're going to be 20 years from now, your personality would be totally different than the one you are now. Because that thing changes, your personality. So you're worrying about a total stranger. <laughs> you won't even be the Paul that you think you're not now. You won't even, you won't even be that 20 years from now. You'll have a whole other persona. Yes? I'd like to give a thing. Now, this, I have no idea if this is true or not, but I had my little theory about blackouts. Yeah. I'm going to share it with you. Because <laughs> I had a lot of them. And actually, I was more successful in a blackout than I was when I was conscious. I didn't get arrested. I never got arrested in blackouts, but I was constantly getting arrested when I was supposedly awake. You know what I mean? <laughs> but... But in hindsight, I like to take a look at it because uh, I had a lot of them. And uh, 
The funny thing is, when I was in a blackout, the people who were supposedly my best friends that I was with didn't think I was in a blackout. They were talking to Paul the whole night. And I was like buying airplane tickets in blackouts. And when Paul, someone said Paul, I responded. I wasn't just sort of looking, you know. They'd say Paul, I just, and I was probably having an incredible amount of talks about my life. Yes? So in my experience with it really is, and this is just a theory, is that what happened is my primary selfing, you know, the idea that is, is the primary one my head entertains, somehow or another was so much alcohol that it got whacked and it stopped. Yes? Now the conditioned head and selfing just made up another self that took over. And I would go on a blackout mid-sentence and the person I was talking to didn't see any, they didn't see one Paul left and another Paul showed up. It was almost like seamless. But there was a point where there was no memory when I wake up the next day of it. But something just took over. Another self just got in the, in the other self's place. And it had a sense of being historical Paul. It had the sense of being me. And it just went on. Everything. Yeah? And then what happened is somehow the situation changes. And then the primary old selfing shows up. And to make it, it cannot brook the idea that there was two selves because that would prove there are no selves. Yeah? Your whole story is this is you, a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, just one, just one self. But if you remembered the blackout and the appearance of that other self, it would blow that whole storyline out the water. Because two selves means there's no selves. If there can be two selves, that means there are no selves. Yeah? It's just a mental construct. So that other, the old construct shows up, and to cover its tracks, it has a blackout of the last 14 hours the newer version of, you know, Windows 8, you know. Paul 8 had been running the program for like 14 hours. It has total blacks out that because it would invalidate its whole story that it's you. And so to me, that's the idea of a blackout. One selfing, and the thing is, when selfing arises, it feels like it's historical. That's part of its arising. It feels like it's been you all this time. Yeah? It's been you all this time. But in fact, if one can appear to be you, and two can appear to be you, that means none of them are you. In other words, for me, I am like the host, and the mental system has taken me over. It's called self-centeredness. Now, I have an extreme, uh, I live in an extreme subdivision of that self-centeredness called alcoholism. We're just extremely concerned with self, and we're extremely in self-will. We're an extreme example, which actually could teach the whole world about what self-centeredness is like, but they have a contempt prior to investigation because they call us something that they don't believe they are. These are addicts and alcoholics, so they don't open up to learn from us. But we are like the pioneers of getting our asses kicked. Yeah? We could save them, hey, we could break it down to you. Any life on our self-will is not going to be successful. Take my word for it. You know what I mean? But no, no, they just keep marching towards the cliff themselves. Because they have the primary disease called self-centeredness. Not as, it's not as explosive as us, but it's still. It's instead of a giant tsunami, it may be drip, 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 drip in their lives. But it's exacting its toll no matter what. Because any time a parasite takes over a host, it affects the host. Every time. Every time a parasite takes over the host, the host usually gets adversely affected. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have a very extremely intense, hostile parasite. And when it takes us over, it takes us over very harshly. 
and it treats us very bad when we're under its wing, so to speak. So it had to have the greatest strategy of all, and that's what I think the root of the problem is. And the point is, I don't want you to believe it, I want you to investigate it in your life, if you like. And I believe it's identification as self. Yeah? Now, identification as self is a verb, a mental verb. It's not a noun. It creates an idea of being a noun based on you being a body. Yeah? Because it takes this body, and this, this is its like insurance policy for its advertising to work. You believe you're a separate unit, and then it tells you what that separate unit is, which is this idea of being a self. That is how alcoholism has hijacked you. And it keeps the transmission of the trance through thought. Yeah? It talks to you all day, and it tells you what things are like, what you're like, what you're going to be like, what they were like, what the world is like, and it pontificates constantly, and you believe it as a Greek oracle, usually. Yeah? No matter how many wrong, at times it's wrong, you never sort of give up on it. You just It brings out the same old, same old. So it's going to be different this time, and you just go right along with it. Yeah? Get your ass totally kicked, you wake up, you come out of the three-day detox, and you're doing the exact same thing again, four days later. That's the whole point. Like when people say they're in a 20-day day program, I ask them, what's the most important day of the program? And they go, I don't know. I said the 29th day. Mm. Right now, when you're, that, you're in that little incubator, the parasite's just waiting for its time, you know? As soon as you leave, it whacks you. I spent two years in a drug and alcohol program called Delancey Street. Two years mm. in San Francisco, from 85 to 87. And uh, when I left... <laughs> They had told me, well, when I left, I, mo- I moved out of that place, and I moved into an apartment with these two girls. And when I went there to rent the place, there was a lot of people applying for it, and, I, and it was pretty expensive. I could afford it, and I, was, I didn't think I'd get it, and, but I looked pretty good at the time. I had blues, a blue blazer and khaki pants. I hadn't used or drank in two years, and I like to say my realtor was Dr. Jekyll, yeah? and they liked Dr. Jekyll, but Mr. Hyde was going to be moving in. Yeah. As soon as I left Delancey Street, and Delancey Street told me, that period of being Mr. Hyde, though long, is over. You're going to be Dr. Jekyll from now on. And I was hoping they were right, but I had a strong suspicion, maybe not. Yeah. So I moved in as Dr. Jekyll, and as soon as I got out from underneath Delancey Street, I started to feel that irritability, restlessness, and discontent. And first of all, I didn't know what to do with myself after work till I go to bed. It seemed like an eternity. I had about six hours so I was sitting in this little room, and my head started advertising to me. Yeah, Almost like those when they sell those CDs about the golden oldies. You know what I mean? Send 15 bucks and get hermits, hermits, or whatever. Yeah, I like hermit, hermit. It started running this mythical advertising about what I'd been missing for the last two years. It wasn't very factual or specific, because then it would have been telling me, getting arrested, shot at, run over by cars, but it was making it like a mythical, romantic missing. And I was, I bought it. I said, yeah, I want to go see what I've been missing. So I had a, I, I had bought a Toyota Corolla, which I was going to lose two nights later. But I had it that night. And, and I got in my car and I drove down to a bar. Because the idea, in two years in Delancey Street, they had no AA or anything. My great idea was, I thought I had uh, pinpointed the problem and it was narcotics. You know. And that was true. So when I made that statement in my head, that was true. But there was a little addendum and it, my head said, but I can drink. Now, I didn't run this by anyone in the program, but I just filed it away. So I left, and I go to drive to this bar called the Rose and Thistle. We used to call it the Nose and Sniffle back then. Mm. I drive to the bar, and I go into it, 
when I uh, go up to order a beer. First of all, I haven't drank in two years. I ordered a beer, and now being self-centered, I'm thinking the guy's been getting my newsletter, and he's going to say no, you know what I mean? I'm, no, you shouldn't have a drink, but he doesn't know me from Adam, and he gives me a, the beer. I drink the beer, the first beer, and I have impunity. Nothing happens. The aid police don't rush in, so I think, hey, this is working. So, of course, what do I do? I order a second beer. Halfway through the second beer, it's not enough for me anymore. I want more. And more, to me, was cocaine. So I looked around the room, and this old English dude used to sell coke when I used to go there, and he was still selling coke. He's got like a franchise, I think, there. So I went, and I bought a, I bought a quarter gram of coke from him, and I went out to my Toyota Corolla, which I left, lost in two nights. And I did a line of coke, and it was like that movie, The Shining, when Jack Nicholson goes to that bathroom door, that, here's Johnny, you ever seen it? Here's Johnny. I was totally possessed to me by that parasite of alcoholism, man. It took me over, and I went on a ten-month run from that night on. Because I had two years of health. That's the only reason why it lasted ten months. And uh, I love that word, term, run, because you've never been on one. It doesn't last as a run for a while, you know, for too long. You're gingerly walking after a few weeks. You're usually limping. <laughs> a couple more weeks, you're getting dragged. And in a few more weeks, you're back into incomprehensible demoralization. And that's what happened to me. What occurred is, I was up in a trailer park, sitting in a trailer with a guy I didn't know, waiting for a mutual acquaintance. Hopefully, he'd have some money or something. And I looked at him. We were passing a bottle of Royal Gate vodka. I don't know if you know the Royal Gate here. We have it back in the... It's like 80 cents a pint, you know. We call it, we call it the gate you enter at the end, the Royal Gate. You know what I mean? It's very cheap vodka. I watched it. I like it because I've seen bottles since then. And their customer service is incredible. Because they switched from all glass to plastic, knowing who their clients were. <laughs> Before, we used to ruin your night when it broke. Now it bounces right back. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was drinking a bottle of vodka with this guy, and I was looking at him. He had bulbous nose and varicose veins, you know. And I said to myself, this guy's a bum. And he looked it back at me, and I thought he's looking at me like I was a bum. Yeah? And I said, that was the moment of clarity for me. It was a typical day at the office. It was no big deal, but something happened. I had the experience of surrender. I never knew what surrender was, and I don't think anyone does until it happens to you. And I got hit by cars. I didn't surrender. I surrendered to the cops many times, but I had never surrendered. But that moment, I surrendered. And I stopped, and I didn't have another drink, and I went out to a phone booth, and I called Delancey Street, and I asked if I could come back. But they'd been getting my newsletter for the last ten months, and they knew what I'd been doing. They said, no can't come back. You've got maybe in about a month you can come for another interview, which didn't mean you'd get back in, just an interview. So I said the first thing, honest thing I said in 10 months, which is I don't think I have a month, you know, because I could feel the terminalness of it. I was in bad shape. And what happened is in that trailer park, I had that moment of clarity, and it was like a CNN news flash. It wasn't much of a story, just a headline. And the headline was, I'm screwed. Yeah? And I, everyone who knew me knew I'd been screwed for quite a while, but it was news to me. You know, when you're in denial, it really is. It's like a, it's like a, you know, fast-breaking story when you realize you're screwed. And so that had dawned on me. So I made these calls, and I called up a woman I used to party with, and I asked her very, you know, with a lot of humility, "I'm done. I'm finished. That's the last I'm ever going to drink. Will you please pick me up?" So she said yes. It took an hour and a half to get there. 
on the way I had a miraculous recovery, a you know alcoholic recovery I wanted to use again and drink. As soon as she got, I got in the car, I started trying to talk her into uh, getting six pack of tolls, you know, cop the coke, get the dirty magazines, rent the hotel room and stuff. And uh, I don't think that equation had been that satisfying for her in the past. So she said, no, we're not doing that tonight, Paul. If you want a place to stay tonight, you've got to go to an AA meeting. Now, when I went to this two-year program, that was the same deal they offered me. If you want a place to stay, and I said, yes, you have to make a two-year commitment. She's asking for one hour, so I said, this is progress, yeah? I'll go. I, you know, and I went to my first meeting in 1988, and I've been sober ever since. Yeah. So this little portal of surrender, though opened only for a few minutes, but a message coming from another dimension, other than from my freaking self-centeredness, conspired from that moment on to a day later to get to, me, to my first meeting, and I've been sober and clean for 21 years now. Could you imagine if you surrendered to that? Could you imagine, instead of looking at this to see its effects, that you would turn this way and see it? Yes? Instead of seeing its effects by how better your life you get better, but can you imagine you turned actually and faced it? So that's what occurred. I came into AA and I entertained these ideas that we share. And after years of doing that and looking at it, I was introduced to this new way of looking, not in AA. And it was the idea of looking at that the problem may actually truly be you, Paul. Yeah, that you don't have a problem, but you are the problem. And the thing is, the great news is, is you're not the problem, and that's your solution. So I started to look at life from this point of view. I started to entertain, and the first revelation I had was that the thoughts that were happening in my head weren't mine. And when I held the thoughts that they weren't mine, I traveled lighter with them. They didn't seem to have much, as much oomph anymore. I had some freedom from it. And so I just continued to do that. Then I, the first ones was some of them I would see as alcoholic thoughts, and that would work. But now I see all the thoughts as coming from a failed system. Yeah? All of the thoughts. And after a while, if you're not driven by your thoughts, something else will drive you. If you're not relying on this system of thinking yourself into and out of everything and thinking the only way you can know is by thinking, if you surrender that, you will pick up another way of living. And if you start relying on that, it will slowly or quickly take over the old way of living. And just like AA says, you will have a new attitude and a new outlook on life. It's not going to be a, a revised old attitude or a, a better working old attitude and outlook, but a cold, totally new attitude and a new outlook, and you'll find a new happiness. Not a happiness of that, oh, it's gotten better, I'm not in jail today as happiness, but no, a happiness without an opposite. Yeah? A spiritual contentment that's not based on everything's going my way. So you'll have this new... And instead of having gratitude experiences, your view will be infused with gratitude. Yeah? Your whole apparatus will shift. And what enabled that to happen for me, seriously, is just going to the central core of the old system, which is self-centeredness, and that's self. Yeah? And I said, it's not obsessing with it, I'm identified as it. So when I think about a solution, I'm thinking from the problem. Yeah? So every time I think from the problem about a solution, I make that solution actually a problem, in a sense. And I didn't even know any better. I'll give you an example. I was, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a bug called Candida. You ever hear of that? There are a lot of bugs in you, inside, your intestines. Some are good, 
you get like from yogurt and stuff like that, and some are bad. Yeah? So I've had digestion problems most of my life. So I started eating like people, very well-intentioned people, and very good books would say, well, you need probiotics, you need these acidophilus and all this stuff and so on. So I would put as much of this stuff in for years, a couple of years, religiously, the highest quality, yes? And then I had my shit examined. Yeah. And they came back with the with the uh, results and there was no trace of any beneficial flora in my system. Now I had done all these practices, I'd been eating perfectly, I'd been, been eating all this yoga and everything, but I wasn't recognizing there was a dominant parasite in there that was eating everything up I was putting in. And having and everything I did had absolutely no effect on my basic condition. That's what it's like if the identification itself isn't seen through. No matter what you do will be tainted by who thinks it's doing it. You'll be identified as the doer and the haver. You'll be claiming the thoughts as yours and the feelings as yours and the body as yours and the time as yours and the right to have your opinion and all this baloney. And you'll be bound by that my and why. And it doesn't matter what you do, this parasite is freaking strong. It's going to override all the good works you do. You'll get some relief, just like I did, but I, the chronic dilemma wasn't healed because I wasn't getting to the root of the problem. It's like if I have a cold and I buy $500 worth of flu medicine, and I take it religiously, I'm not going to get true relief. Some of the same symptoms will be relieved, but the true chronicness of it won't be addressed because I misdiagnosed myself. Yeah. So for me, it was really important that finally, when I heard this, it became the last answer, and I haven't gotten any other downloads in like about 14 years, that the last answer to me is the root, cause of the dilemma is identifying as a self. Identifying as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, being a body. Yes? And if you believe you're a body, first and foremost, the most you can hope for is to become spiritual. You'll never recognize that you are spirit, because you'll keep recognizing everything as from here first. This will be your primary identification. I am a body. And if you want to try grafting on spirituality to a body, it's very difficult for it to take. You have to keep applying it, keep watching it. Do to do. If you drop a second, it's off again. Yeah. But if you are a spirit, if you are a spirit, there's no need to become spiritual. There's just a recognition recognition that you are spirit. Yes. And so, and therefore, like. Like great masters, people see what a master did, and then they make a discipline. Well, if I do and have what a master does and have, I will be like the master. But the master is being already, and the doing and having is just a form of expressing it. You can't do and have yourself into being. And the only way we look at life when we're in self is that I, as this, I'm going to do something to have something to get something. But you can't apply that to spirituality because you are it. If you apply it to spirituality, you will fail miserably because you cannot become spiritual. Because you are already. All you can come here is in a fantasy replication of what your crazy mind thinks is spiritual. So maybe you'll start gazing lovingly at people while you're hating them underneath your breath. Maybe you'll, you'll start wearing whites or become vegan or whatever, a lot of incense and start washing with really expensive soaps or whatever. You know, taking yoga retreats and this and that. That doesn't make you spiritual. Nothing you do can make you spiritual. We are spirit. 
that was the recognition, that's the revelation. I have absolutely nothing to do with my true nature. I have absolutely nothing to do with it. I don't have to really try to get good, because I'm never going to be bad in a sense. I am that, yeah? So to me, it says in the book, you know, the greatest way our daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Right, so now, as a body and a mind, I'm doing a lot to maintain a spiritual condition. Somewhat works, but can you imagine? The, to me, the greatest form of maintenance is to realize you are it. To realize you are a spiritual condition. Yeah. Because then, it's almost, you ever hear of electromagnetism? Electromagnetism goes on infinitely. The, electri- the electricity creates the magnetism, magnetism creates electricity. There's no cause or end, it never began, it just goes on infinitely. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah? Your attention to the spirit reinforces you being the spirit. You being the spirit reinforces your attention. And now, instead of seeking and trying to acquire spirituality, you're expressing it. So one thing that they say in our group, in our program, service, yeah? When you do service, you get out of self, don't you? That's a lot of times. That's one of our great uh, examples of getting out of self in AA, is if you do service, you'll get out of self. Now, when I used to get out of self, how did I feel? I felt available, obviously, because I was not so isolated anymore, because I'm out of that little isolation tank, and I would sense availability. Sometimes you'll feel like you're bigger or lighter, yeah? So you're available. So if I do service, the opportunity to feel available is there. And then when I'm available, I'm available to what? The sense of that presence. I sense the presence, yeah? So what occurs is, though the self-system is so strong, I revert back to being this again. And then therefore I have to do service so that I can experience being available. And then you sense the presence. What would happen if you entertained the presence as being you? You're the presence that you're thinking you're feeling as a body, but you're actually the presence. If you're that presence, then you're, then you're always available, and if you're always available, you're of service. What is service but to be available? Yeah? And, if, what is, and then if you're the presence and you're always available, then you're of service. So then you don't see service as just something I have to do in some program one, week, one time a week, and then the rest of the time I'm not doing service, which makes me bad. You realize you're of service at all times. Yeah? It's like you're on call all day. Yeah? Why? Because you're available. And then there's that sense of presence. So the way the head looks at it is, I'm this, and I have an experience of presence. Yeah? Which means, if I had the experience of presence, I, can have, I, I, I may not have an experience of presence, which is what you actually take to be reality living in the non-experience of presence. Because he had, has an option. So it says, oh yeah, I can feel presence, but that means I cannot feel presence. And I bet you the theme of the story will be mostly not feeling presence. Yeah. But when you are presence, that's whole thing's out. Yeah? That's the fact. You are presence. And so you have an immunity to your head saying, oh, I need to get present. Like people believe they're out of the moment. They're reading books to be in the moment. Yeah? The option is, the idea is, you cannot be out of a moment. Any moment in your life, you have never been out of. Any one moment in your freaking life. So what's the whole drive to be in the moment? You must believe you are capable of being out out of the moment. And so you're trying to get into the moment. That's truly being out of the moment. Trying to get into it. (laughs) Literally, it sounds corny, but it's true. 
If there's the recognition that you cannot be out of the moment, that's truly being in the state of always being in the moment, no matter what your head says. So you have an immunity to the head, and if the head isn't locating you, you'll probably become aware of your true location, which is present, yes, right where you are. Not in the land of what's not happening, you know, not living in next Friday or last Tuesday, but a very aware and in conscious contact, as conscious contact now. So then, I'm in conscious contact. Of course, when conscious contact occurs, mind has a reaction to it, in selfing, and says, I'm in conscious contact. But you are also conscious contact of that. That thought that immediately you assume is you, isn't you, it's a thought. So when it goes, I'm in conscious contact, you can witness that also. And after a while it goes, well, I'm not in conscious contact now, I was, that's also something that contact is witnessing. And then you start realizing you are always that consciousness that's in contact. You're not what it's in contact with. Yeah? Most of us have been in contact with thoughts for so long, we've assumed where what the thought's implying. But we're actually the awareness of the thoughts. And so it doesn't matter if the thoughts are good or bad, they always reveal your true nature, which is the awareness of it. For you to feel shitty today, you had to be aware of a thought that was telling you you should feel shitty today. Or let's say if some feelings are insinuating you feel shitty, there must be awareness of those feelings. Without awareness, you don't have a life. And there's awareness when you're having good thoughts, because you're not having them, they're just thoughts. And there's awareness of what you would call bad thoughts. The awareness never goes out because you, a bad thought happens. Yeah? It's just as aware when it's a good thought that you're saying, or a bad thought. The awareness is always the constant factor of what you call your life. Yeah? I would say that's more of what we are than the thoughts about what we think we are. And if that is constant, then, in a sense, my idea of my higher power is that it's always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. So, this thing loves to play God, as you know, up here. It says in the book, you've got to quit playing God. It's the how and why of the whole program. It's quit playing God. Well, what's playing God? Your head. Now, I don't care if it quits playing God. I just want to realize I'm not that. Yeah? Let it play God. Because what it's playing God with is this energy that I am. And I have to transfer and give this thing my energy. And the only way that happens, I'm identified as it. When I'm identified as it, it uses my, quote-unquote, God-like energy to make a world up for me, to be the inhabitant in. How's it going for you? Is it treating you well in there? I will be okay. Maybe in five years. I will be okay when I get this and that and this and that. that. So my okayness is always based on some requirements that I very rarely have met already. You know, I haven't met them yet. So then I have to worry, if I don't meet them, I'll never be happy. Exactly. So, so, story, 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 yes. But in fact, if you're okay now, if you realize you're not that, you have an immunity to all those freaking storylines. And what occurs is, conscious contact becomes your guide. Yeah? What's happening now becomes your guide. And you're not obsessed with time, you know, past and future. You're rooted here. 
And there's nothing you did, no thought or effort that helped that along. All you do is realize you're not that. That keeps yapping up in your head. And the proof is in the pudding. You'll see it in your life. You'll start traveling lighter. You'll start out shining circumstances and situations instead of having your light dimmed by them. And then you'll have some true reliance on something because awareness never blinks. Consciousness is never unconscious. Awareness never blinks. It's the bringer of your life as you know it. Without that, there'd be no life. So once you start relying on something that's reliable, your life will demonstrate that. You'll start traveling lighter and you'll have an ease and comfort where you didn't have any. But then the mind presents itself again. There's no authentic self. You don't have to convince this thing to be okay. All you need to do is realize it isn't you. Don't waste one second trying to convince this. It's unconvincible. Haven't you found that out by now? It says it swears I've surrendered, and then the next day it's taking your will back, supposedly. Yep. I'm running, I'm running this. Yeah. And then look at what happened. Anything you don't surrender, that's what most of your obsessions are about, right? I have a girlfriend I used to have, and the one thing she was afraid to surrender to God was her body image, because she thought God would let her get fat. <laughs> so she says, no, I'm not going <laughs> to surrender that. And her whole life has been obsessing over that body image. Seems there's a correlation, yeah? She was unwilling to let that go over to that, and she allows self to keep being the manager of it, and she gets all the products of self around that topic. Fear, anxiety, concern, resentments, everything like that. You have to see it, yeah? Whatever this idea of self thinks is important, you'll see its expressions. If it's money, that's where all your resentments and anxieties will be. Because when self believe, when you believe that you're that self, then self is managing your life, and it's going to try to manage your life. Yeah? And whatever thing it, it, it deems to be important, you'll see all its little minions there. That's where all your anxiety will be about and your fear. All of it. And you'll see its effects. You'll, you'll recognize that tree as being bad by the fruit. And we've had enough of it. Yeah? We've had enough of the fruit of that, haven't we? How much more do we need to be convinced that we're living in a failed system of thought and interpretation? Yeah? But it, we believe we're identified as it. If you identify it as it, you can't entertain being free of it. It's just a dilemma we run into. The mind cannot entertain being free of what it thinks it is. It has to go the route of therapy and getting self-esteem and you know, trying to socialize an unsocialized beast. And, you know, maybe I can actually enjoy a barbecue for once or whatever, you know. Instead of making a big scene. These are our big successes. Oh, great, wonderful. And my idea of success after a few years of alcoholism was not to be arrested. <laughs> oh, man, I've had high dreams. What's your idea of success? Be a marine biologist? Just no, not just not to be popped this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice, that's pretty, you're shooting for the stars, I see that for you. This is what happens. When you're identified as this, you're going to have to hunker down. You're going to have to get used to tolerating what's intolerable, bearing what's unbearable, and try to make the best out of a really lousy situation. Yeah? And then after a while, you just don't know any better. You're just so tranced out, you'll accept whatever it serves you. And then all it is is a life, it just interprets life. Tell, how many times have you just walked in a room and experienced walking in a room? Mostly, if 
I walk in a room, the head just experiences thinking about it. Doesn't it? You think, did anyone see me? Are my pants too short? How does my hair look? On, 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 on. You're not even aware of the conscious contact of walking. You're thinking all day. Thinking about walking. Thinking about sex. Thinking about money. Thinking about love. Thinking about this. Thinking about that. If you're thinking about love, you'll never be loved. You'll probably say no to so many deliveries of love in your life because it won't be looking like the package you thought it's supposed to be delivered in. It will blind you. You'll think, I've never gotten noticed. You've been noticed constantly in your life. It's just not the way you thought you wanted to be noticed, which excludes every other way of being noticed. So many times the delivery came to my house, but when I looked at the package, I said, no, sorry, that's not it. I ordered a 510 blonde. I want a five, uh, I don't want approval from you. I want it from her. Yes, that's the only one I'm going to accept. That approval, that stamp of approval. You're going to starve here, and you get to be right and alone. How's it working out for us, you know? Or they hope that I'll be special someday, that I can convince someone else who's dying to be special that we can be special together. <laughs> We'll have a love that no one else can have. Yeah, yeah. I'll be up on stalking charges in a few months. Yeah, I've had that love before. It doesn't work out so well. This is about freedom. If you're interested, it's available. The only thing I needed was an invitation because I didn't know about it. I had no idea that the problem was I was actively identifying as what I wasn't all day. Yeah? And if that's the case, anything I do is being done by self. Everything I have is being done by self. And the doing and having gets infected by its agenda. And it, you can find the most perfect path and it won't lead you anywhere as a self. I found it. I spent a lot of years meditating and everything in the jungles of Thailand and other places. And I had to admit after 10 years that nothing radically had changed. I had tons of spiritual experiences, but nothing radically had changed. No matter why, how great the spiritual experience was, I still thought it was Paul having it. Yeah, Paul was still claiming everything that happened in my life, and therefore neutering what it could have been. Because everything like that, like an epiphany, would reveal to me what my true nature is, and my head would rise up and says, Oh, I had this incredible experience. No, it didn't. That's the narrator claiming... An event that it has nothing to do with. It's doing it all day. It rises up and says, I did that. No, it didn't. You can't even shit when you want to, really. You're not pumping your blood, are you? Did you, eat the, did you digest the burrito just tonight? No. You would have forgotten one if you were, you know, if it was based, you would have died long ago it was up to you. You would have forgot to beat your heart. Oh, shit, I forgot it. You're too late. You'd be dead. It'd be a done story. Most of this whole experience is automatic, and yet you believe you're the mover and shaker. I can really hurt somebody. You can't even shit when you want. But I can hurt. I can ruin someone's life. Give me a break. I don't have the power to ruin anyone's life. I'm dangerous. No, you're not. To yourself, you're as a self. So I don't know. I looked into this. I found a solution. It's been working. I come here to share it with people, yeah, humbly, because you're my tribe. I have an allegiance to you. I really believe that most of us have a first-hand experience of what hell is like. Yeah? And thank God we got on the bus that took us out of there. But that bus doesn't, it isn't just about not being in hell. There's some place it will take you. A 
an old priest in the beginning of AA said, most people experience in the program is a moving away from hell, not a moving towards heaven. Yeah? But after a while, when you move away from hell, the fire gets cooler. It doesn't motivate you anymore. There's got to be something else that pulls. And to me, that's freedom. Yeah? Freedom. Freedom to me from the bondage of self. And the bondage of self didn't happen one day. It's happening all day by listening to your head without any knowledge of what's actually going on there. It's just trancing us out all day and using us for transportation. It's a possession. And the, the thing it fears most is you waking up to it. Because if you wake up to it, you will stop giving it your energy and then it doesn't have any power. The parasite has no power on its own. It's living off of your power. And it gets your power caught blanche because you're identified as it. If you weren't identified as it, you would have thrown this hostile parasite off a long time ago. But you can't seem to entertain being free of it because you think it's you. You really can't. That, the way the mind is cannot entertain what it thinks it is, that it can be free of it. That's why people shoot themselves in the head. They don't shoot themselves in the elbow usually. It's usually the head, because that's what's driving them freaking crazy. That's where the parasite has hijacked or jacked in, into the thought system. So, this is all I needed was an invitation, just like I'm offering you. And that got me going. I started to entertain it. And you know something? If you entertain something that's true for you, the power that happens is unbelievable. We're incredible entertainers. You can entertain what's not happening and make it, it seem like it's happening, haven't you? You can sit down and think about Friday and let it override Wednesday night. That's the power you have. You can make something out of nothing. What's not happening is not happening. Yeah? Yet you can go in there and pull tons of anxiety out and experience anxiety now. It's like a harvest of, of, a, of like an imaginary field. And you go in there with thinking and you harvest all this anxiety and you get to feel it as a body now. Short of breath, worried, nervous. And therefore, obviously, there's no threat in this room now. You must not be responding to what's happening. You're in the habit of responding to what's not happening. Yeah? And up in that world, anything can happen up there. And usually I found 80% is not good in the fairy world of what's not happening, especially for alcoholic minds. 80% is usually on the negative side. So you're not worried about, I'm going to win the lottery. You're worried about, I'm going to, I have cancer. Yeah? You're not entertaining great things. You're entertaining scary freaking things. So that fear, that your anxiety that you're experiencing right now is a product of what's not happening. That's your antidote. It's recognizing it's not happening. Why do you keep dealing with it as if it's real? If you bring about something out of what's not happening and you deal as if it's real, that's what's giving it its reality. The solution is it's an imaginary problem. Anxiety is not fear. It's mentally contrived by thinking about what's not happening. What would be the solution to that? Having therapy about what's not happening? Or a recognition it's not happening? Why do I want to spend three hours talking about the reality of what's not happening? Every second I'm talking about, I'm making it real, more and more real. I just want to realize it's not happening. There you go. What are you worried about? Nothing. All right. There's your solution. <laughs> Well, let's get into the worrying. Why do you worry? No. What are you worrying about? Nothing. There you go. Let's look at the nothing. I bet you it will affect the worrying. 
Oh, what, nothing? Yeah, no worry, yeah. Why give it life? Why believe what's not happening? If you apply a solution to an imaginary problem, yeah, first of all, you won't get a solution. You'll get a problem from the solution. You know what I mean? It's sort of like if someone is gonna someone says a blatant lie. This is what they do in the world, governments and stuff. They say a blatant lie and then they have someone who thinks he knows the truth and they debate. But as soon as a lie is as soon as a lie is debated, it makes it seem true. It's already won. That's exactly what it's like. As soon as you seek help for what's not happening, you're making it seem to be real. When you tell the truth, it's not happening, that's that. What happens? Your attention is freed from what's not happening, and it attends to what's happening. That's the solution to what's not happening. Not, not talking about what's not happening, not having a story about what's not How can you have a story about what's not happening? It's not happening. Yeah? The best solution is just recognize what's happening. There's your solution to what's not happening. What's happening right now? Nothing, really. Is there anything pressing against you, a terrible problem at the moment? I heard it. It's waiting for you right here. I see it. What's not, what's not happening cannot enter into what's happening. Because its quality is it's not happening. Yeah? We're in what's happening. Conscious contact is the salvation you're looking for. Just recognize your, that your conscious contact. But not as a you, you see? If I say Paul's in conscious contact, there has to be a story why Paul's in conscious contact, and therefore Paul had to do something and have something to be in conscious contact. And conversely, if Paul stops doing and having that, what? He's not in conscious contact. That's how it plays God. The fact is, your conscious contact, it totally erases that fact and now gives you the option to be in conscious contact or not to be in conscious contact. And most of our experiences are in not being in conscious contact. Wanting to be in conscious contact. When all there is is conscious contact. It's a simple recognition of what's so. Yeah? And then you'll have a barrage of thoughts trying to convince you otherwise. And if you hold to your spot, you'll have an immunity to those thoughts. And after a while, maybe out of 100, 90 of them will grab you. After a while, maybe only 70 will grab you. Then 50 will grab you. And then your immunity will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And no matter what, however... Whatever evidence that's false is appearing in your head, it won't appear real because you won't give it life by believing it. The point of FBAR, false evidence, appears real. Who's playing the biggest role? You. False evidence appears here, but to you, as a self, it appears real, that it manifests now. The solution is at the false evidence. When you recognize it as false evidence, anything that's not happening right now to me is false evidence. With that recognition, it doesn't appear real because I don't give it my juice. Yeah? So it's false evidence. It seems to be false evidence. It doesn't have the ability to appear real. Boom, gone. Maybe some more false evidence will come. Same immunity, though. False evidence, not appearing real. Boom. It's only when it appears real to you that it becomes fear or anxiety. You play a huge role in your life. You're not a victim. You don't need a savior. You have the ability to be awake right now with no purification, no practice, nothing. You are awake. It's just a recognition of it. And why not start now? 
If you see a thought, you must be conscious. Consciousness is your nature. Not the thought, the consciousness of the thought. And every thought that's seen is seen by consciousness. Everything that's heard is heard by consciousness. Everything that's felt is felt by consciousness. So, everything that happens that the head's claiming, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm thinking, all of that is the act of selfing. All there is is seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. That's conscious contact. The head reacts to it and says, I'm in conscious contact, and then the story of Paul begins. But it's all fueled by the initial living, which is conscious contact. Why not just stay there? See what? See how that informs you. When If conscious contact becomes your guide, it's like living in a state of what you would call an intuitive thought. There's like a knowledge, a pre-knowledge before things happen. You have a sense of things now. You don't have to wait for the narration to come and say, oh, I thought about it, now I know what's happening. It's already gone. As soon as you think about it, the experience is over. Yeah? That's what's going to happen with people. If you're living your whole life listening to the narration, the narration is always a second late. Something happens, yes? And the mind reacts to it and tells you a story about it. So, by the time you attend to the story, the moment that the story was about is already gone. Yeah? Can you imagine if you got in the habit of only listening to this? You'd be checked out in your life, and you'd be waiting for your head to tell you what happened. Yeah? Just like people go to work, and it's amazing to me. At 8 o'clock at night, they finally figure out they had a bad day. Wouldn't you know it was a bad day when you were having it, if you were awake? How did... I mean, I was... Work was terrible today. When did you figure that out? About 12 at night. Oh, shit, that's good. Weren't you in the day while it was so terrible? Uh, well, yeah, but I didn't know it was terrible until I got home and thought about it. Exactly. Yeah. So can you imagine you've been in that habit, and you're waiting for your head to tell you what's happening, and then you have the last moment of your life here, yes? And the apparatus shuts down, and the head is part of the apparatus, and you're in limbo because you're waiting for the head to tell you, and it can't tell you you're dead. <laughs> You missed the, best, the last bus out of town. You missed it. You're waiting. Something tell me. What's happened? There's no... no. Where's my narrator? It's gone. You're dead. It shuts down. There's, there's, the voice is part of the head. It's not... When, the head, when this body ends, the voice ends. And if you're waiting for it to tell you what happens, you'll miss it. Yeah? Can you imagine you live your whole life and you miss the last moment? <laughs> because you're waiting for something to tell you what happened? Well... Fuck it, I missed the news. You've been dead. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, you missed it. What do you mean I missed by my own death? Yeah, you were waiting for someone to tell you what is happening, and it was too late. Oh, yeah, okay. Back on the wheel of life again. <laughs> no, I don't want to be an alcoholic again. No. <laughs> so, yeah, this is just a humble little invitation. Check it out if you like, if you don't. It's like a piece of card, you know? It's not a battle between salmon and mackerel and cod. I have no opinion about salmon and mackerel. I'm just putting out a piece of cod. If you want to check it out and you like, you can sushi it. You know, do whatever you want with it. Try it out. If it works for you, far out. If it allows you to travel later, later, fantastic. You know, it's not about right and wrong. It's not a, it's not a, a substitute for anything else. You don't get a free pass not to do the steps if you entertain this. None of this happens. You just go on as you're going on, but you'll be much lighter as you're going on. Yeah? And that's what I wanted. I wanted an ease and comfort in my own skin. 
I wanted to feel that peace that I spent $500 for at night trying to get. I want to feel that high, that happiness, freedom and joy, and I felt, feel like I fell in upon it, yes. And I, uh, from not being that idea of self, I get a very good view of it. I see it, because I'm not seeing from life. I'm not seeing life from self. I'm seeing self from life, in a way. And it's just something that's constructed every day. You can see it. It's constructed. It's not real. It's just a system that has this one great strategy. The system convinces the host that it's you. Yes. So you end up, you up, and it's amazing. You defend its opinions, don't you? You'll die for it to be right. You're calling every anxiety you have yours, every resentment yours, every act that you ever did, you think you did it. And yet in our book it says that Self has defeated us in so many ways, and we're now going to look at its common manifestations, resentment, fears, and harms done to others, are obviously expressions of self in your life. And yet every time we get taught an inventory, it's, you're going to look at your resentments and fears and anxiety. That is the perfect diagnosis of the root problem, which is identification as self. Self's expressions are coming through you into life, and you're claiming every one of them yours. Yeah. You have to clean up the mess. You have to protected. You have to make stories about it. You have to have secrets so that no one finds out what a terrible self you are. You know? Have you never noticed if you feel, if you are afraid to feel like a fraud, you feel like it thousands of times, don't you? If there's a fear, I don't want to be a fraud, you have thousands of experiences when you feel like a fraud. If you become at peace about, I'm a fraud, who gives a shit, really? Then you never have to feel like one. You know what I mean? You're freed from it. You're freed. You can just relax. But this head is amazing. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I had that relaxed awareness. It was beautiful. Then I grew into this incredible yappa where from that day on, I never did anything. It was always thinking about what I did. I was going to make a jump off a high high diving board. I wouldn't try one for eight years because I thought, what if people see me not be able to do it, that would kill me. So I never even tried to make that dive. Eight freaking years. Every time I climb up on the ladder, get to the thing, get ready to jump off, and my head would just be yapping. <gasps> what happens if I, I look like an idiot? You are an idiot, Paul. Don't worry about it. No, you'll kill me if I'm seen as an idiot. Give me thousands of people are seeing you already as an idiot. Yeah? It's insane. So what happens is your life gets smaller and smaller, doesn't it? You go to one party and someone says something bad to you, your solution is never go to another party. That works great, doesn't it? You're never going to ask another woman out on a date again. Why? Well, she said no to me. All right, that's it. Rest of her life. Hunker down. No more dates, ever. Can't handle that fear, that anxiety. I'm not going to do it anymore. So you end up never asking for what you want and then bitching about what you have constantly. But you don't have the balls to ask for what you want. Yeah? So you're vindictive and attack people who seem to look like they're free because you can't stand it. It's unbearable to the self because you don't have the balls to be free. Most people just want to want to be free. They have no balls to be free. It's a totally different experience. It's so safe to want to want to be free. You can read about it. You can take workshops on it. But man, if you actually experience a sense of being free, you'd probably shit in your pants. It's unbelievable. You know? Oh, I don't know. Any questions tonight? 
It's amazing. I love this. No one asks questions. I dig it. It's great. Oh, yes. Hey, Kathleen. Can I just jump in something a second? Why don't you ask a subjective question? Who is it that's feeling the grief? Ask that. Who's that I? Hmm? Yeah, don't think. See, that's the, the answer was not in before the thinking of it. That's that pause. Yeah? So that's a beautiful thing. If you have something that you seem to have been feeling for all the time in 10 years, ask who is it that's been feeling it. And then if it says, I am, don't leave. Ask again. And see what happens. And like you said, nothing came at that last moment. Check out what doesn't come up. Yeah? Then you'll see the self regenerate and say something again. Ask it again. Who am I? Or what am I? It's not has no opinion about the grief. I'm not saying you're in grief or not grief. I could care less on a certain level. But I want to find out who is it that's in grief. Ask. See. And you know what may happen? You may find out that the grief was there, yes? And to self, it's a freaking gold mine to self-centeredness, yeah? It can entertain, it can harvest so much out of that real experience of grief and you've been maybe tilling that field for 10 years now, and it will probably keep tilling that field for 30 more years. Yes? It's not invalidating the grief. It's not this. But you have to look at If you ever read that story, Freedom from Bondage, in the AA Big Book, it's a lady who talks about when she gets sober, she, she realized that she would have to give up her resentments if she was going to stay sober. And it seemed like it was quite easy. And she saw that he had this one story about this one resentment about a mother. And her story was, if I had a chance, I would get rid of this resentment at the drop of a hat. But when she got sober, she realized she didn't want to give up that resentment. Because she had been cultivating it and getting a lot of excuses for her whole life based on that resentment. That her, her, her marriages didn't work because of her mother. That she didn't go to college because of her mother. Yeah? So her selfing was using that that feeling about her mother, to a great advantage. It was running a huge story about that. Now, there was a truth to it, but it was elongating it and then making it into a whole other reason. So, ten years of grief, something else may be harvesting that grief in you. And I would say that would be what I call selfing. Yeah? And maybe if you ask a subjective question, with, it's not saying don't have grief or have grief. I'm not talking, I have no opinion about that. But just ask who it is that's in the grief. And you may find out that what you truly are is free of that grief, but in the most honorable way already. Yeah? Thank you. Yeah. Just like resentments, that's just what we're talking about. The bonding isn't from the resentment side, it's from the self side. Yeah? To have a resentment, the self gets to be right. And it doesn't want to give up that being right, so it, it nurtures resentments for 30 years, 40 years. It, like, it harvests and reharvests and harvests and reharvests. Like you and I will forget a miracle in about an hour, but we, we, we remember a resentment of 40 years ago like it was yesterday. Yeah? 
Because selfing doesn't, can't harvest anything out of the miracle. The best it can do is become a self, a spiritual identification. It doesn't really, it's not as juicy as it likes. But the other side, it wants to harvest, yes? It wants to make a life story about it. And it may be using your life and your real grief, yes? To create an identification that it's thriving on. So a subjective questioning is very helpful. Ask who it is that is grieving. Or ask who it is that's worrying about next week. You may find out it's not you. And if it's not you, it gives the possibility for that worrying to change. Yes? Because awareness gets brought to it. And when awareness alights on something, it gives that something the possibility to change. Yes? If self's running a story about it, it wants that story, that thing never to change because it's milking it like a dead cow. I was wronged once and I hate men forever or whatever. And it's like... And you say, well, I would really like to let it go. You would really like to let it go. But the, app, the parasite doesn't want to let it go. The parasite wants to, feed, wants to harvest that crop over and over again because it gets identification. You become identified as it. You become the one who's been grieving for the last 30 years. It's a story. It's not talking about the grief. I honor that grief, and so do you, but it's the story around the grief. How the self is using your own grief about the loss of your kid to create an edifice of selfing. Yeah, this is what I, this is the, this is what I really sincerely don't like about the parasite. It takes beautiful, authentic feelings, and it distorts them and hijacks them, and it makes a story out of them. And because we're identified as it, we live out that story. And therefore, you have to constantly feel the pangs that have the possibility to come and go. Because without the pangs, the story would have no oomph in it. It would drop out. It has to keep reinventing the grief, yes? It's feeding off of it like 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 a harvest, like a crop. It's using our life as a crop to produce anxieties and resentments and slights and, you know, this and that. And uh, it's using all of our juice to do it. How does it get all of us? Because we're identified as it. I'm telling you, that's my humble view. And if, you know, I finally looked at it that way and I've gotten relief from it. And it doesn't mean I don't have grief about things. I have incredible grief, but it doesn't get elongated into a giant story. Because you don't want a story. The grief is more than enough. The mind only wants a story. And it uses the grief as its springboard for a story. And therefore, it wants to keep reduplicating the story, so it has to keep re-feeling like a resentment is to re-feel. We're re-feeling and rethinking all day. Resentment is not just the one thing we refeel. We refeel everything. That's what the self-centeredness does. It refeels and rethinks constantly, over and over and over and over again. Something happens now, it reminds me of something that I thought that happened a year ago, and then I refeel that. Yes? So what's happened is just used as a... I, my mind can react to what's happening and go into what's not happening. And then it harvests something. Yeah? And then it dumps into now, and then you get to feel shitty. <laughs> yes? 
Good. For some reason, I sort of understand what you were saying, but I haven't heard what you were saying for many, many years. I'll go back to the 60s. Madison Square Garden had a, a seminar. I guess with a person like yourself saying a lot of things that you said. You're more than welcome, bro. Yes. I'm Casey, I'm an alcoholic. When you recognize that you're nothing, like that you're you're not your thinking, who recognizes that? Who do you think? You know that you know you're that you're nothing. Not nothing, but yes, 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 yes. The head recognizes. The same head that so, thought it was something recognizes it's nothing. Does it even recognize? So what? So if you're if you're being in nothing, is is where you're saying your true true happiness is? Then no, I wouldn't say being in nothing. What is it though? Is it just actions? I would say you should find out for yourself what it is. It's not it's not a verbal answer. It's a living application. Yeah, how you experience being is being it. Yeah? It's a verb. You'll never know the true quality of verb if you make it a noun by saying, what is it? What is it? It's, it's the living of it that teaches you what it is. Because it's purely a verb. It's not a noun. Yeah? So it's in the living of it. And that's how what happens with me is it just the living of it, it intimates things that become clearer to me. Because I can, but I could never get it by looking at it like a topic or a, a noun, because its quality is a verb. It's being, right. yes, yeah. So you have to sort of be going with it to recognize what it is. You can't be taking yourself as a noun and then trying to understand a verb. You'll never get the sense of verbing. It's a different thing, yeah. It's like trying to catch something and put it on the glass. You've missed the whole essence of it. So it's in the living of it, and that's what I love about it because you entertain it. And you actually meet it in its own activity, which is being. Not like a topic or a philosophy or a belief or an understanding, but a living application as you're traveling. And to me, it translates as a traveling lighter. And that's what intimates it to me. I see that I'm traveling lighter where I have history of not traveling lighter. Yeah. And as, as the, the verb is revealed in the verbing. Yeah? 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 Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's the verbing that reveals itself, but not as a noun, or nor to a noun. The noun, the seeming noun, receives the invitation, but the invitation is a, a verb, and the verb of you is what starts writing the verb. Yeah, This just becomes aware of it and admits that it's nothing, when it was trying to be something all the time. And then when it admits that it's nothing, its potential to be everything is revealed. Yeah. It's sort of like here, you're afraid to be just this. So you're trying to be special and right, whatever, this and that. And suddenly it collapses on you and you realize, oh, I'm just this. And when it goes implodes, then the recognition is, and I'm not that. Yeah? So you think nothing, and then nothing is revealed to be everything. Boom! Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yes, yes. I'm a little under alcoholic. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. First of all, um, I've been sober a little over five and a half years. I feel that I've awakened spiritually. Well, it says in the big book, paraphrasing about worldly clamors, and to my land is dedicated a lot, and it wasn't exactly what you needed. Because my sponsor keeps telling me that I need to get quiet and I need to meditate, and I keep looking forward to that because I feel like I'm off beam sometimes, or more than sometimes. Yeah. All right. Why don't you ask who is it that feels like it's off the beam? Just ask yourself who is it that feels like it's off the beam. If it isn't you, you may not be off the beam. <laughs> because if you believe you're off the beam, then on a beam looks uh, inviting. Yeah, looks desirous. But you may have peace around getting on the beam if you realize you're not off the beam. <laughs> And what tells you your offer on the beam is your head, usually. Yeah? Your gut is different. When your gut tells you something's off, you know it. It's down here, you know, on your balls or somewhere. Yeah? Your head tells you it's, it's just setting you up, yeah? So the idea of I feel connected will always lead to you feeling disconnected. Yeah? So the experience of connected sounds really good. It feels pretty good. But then you'll experience disconnected. And the fact is, all there is is connection, yeah? You can't be out of the moment, so there's no need to get in the moment, because there's nothing you can do. If you're thinking about the future, you're doing it now, yeah? If, if th- thoughts are occupying you about the past, they'll be occupying you now about the past. So you're always located right here. The head doesn't want to accept that fact, so it creates time, past, and future, so it can get obsessed to keep you distracted, because you have a lot of power that scares the shit out of the parasite. Because it's using you. It's like, you're like an oil rig, it's sucking up. But if you wake up, you may sort of, you know, null and void the contract. Yeah? So it has to keep you confused and keep you obsessed with all what's not happening so that it can continue, use your juice to express itself with. You wake up and you realize that this thing is playing God but with your juice. You're transferring your juice because you're believing what it's saying, because you're believing it's you. Once you take that away, it may still do stuff for a while, but it will lose momentum because it thrives on your energy. When that energy is surrendered to something else, then it starts to die. So you, the obsession with self diminishes, your head gets quieter or at peace. Yeah? You're resting more. Yeah. And going to Thailand's great if that's what's called for. I'm just doing it because there's... Yeah. Well, there's a thing of this head, it's called doing and having, it claims everything. So everything that you've ever done in your life, it's said it's done it. And when it's, whatever, everything it claims, it neuters or neutralizes what that could do to you. So you can meditate for month after month, but if you're thinking you're the one that's meditating, then if you stop for one day, you'll feel like you're flipped out. So the meditation is another way of beating yourself up again. If you don't do it, oh, you should have meditated. You know? Do, 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 do. So this idea of, if I'm not the doer and haver, yeah? So if I don't meditate it, I'm fine. If I meditate, I'm fine. Yeah? The fineness becomes a state. It's not based on outer circumstances anymore. Yeah? The only way it could not be fine is if I listen to my head, yeah? If I listen to my head, I'm not fine. Then it tells me, here's a plan to be fine, which will never actually work. 
and then that will fail, and I'll be blind. It'll give me another plan to be fine, like a five-year Stalinist plan, how to be happy. You know? And on and on, I'll just keep buying the next plan, the next plan, the next plan, all the while living in the quote-unquote reality that I'm not enough, that I need to be saved from some outside source. Or some, someone's going to have to bring love into my life. No way could love bubble up from here. I must find it at an outside source and do anything I can to get it. Or I could live my whole life unlovable. That's an insane thing, yeah? Can you imagine living your whole life believing you are unlovable when you're the source of love? So, yeah. Is that it? I'm, one more. I'm getting tired. I'm tired. Yeah. yeah, we'll have this one, this one. Can I, uh, Deborah, Paul? Hey, Deborah. Can you just briefly um, explain again that they have surrendered? Hmm. This is it. You're looking at it. <laughs> That's the state of surrender. Okay. State of surrender is you've been convinced about the admittance of powerlessness. Yeah? You don't need any more convincing. You don't need any more lessons. You're very clear that the solution comes from admitting your powerlessness. And then you feel a source of power. Yeah. And if you admit your powerlessness, you never experience being powerless again. You experience power. When you forget your powerlessness, you will experience powerlessness. You will experience it. In other words, you'll get frustrated, your mind will anyway, vindictive, because things and people aren't going to do what you want all the time. So obviously, they're exhibiting that you're powerless over them. And that's not a nice experience for you when you want them to do what you want. But if I admit my powerlessness, I feel power all the time. It's beautiful, isn't it? So that, to me, is the state of surrendered. Right. As I'm convinced, I don't need to be taught anymore. The only thing that needs to be taught is something you don't want to waste time convincing. In your gut, if you've come into AA, even for a week, something in you has been convinced about the dilemma that you find yourself in. That doesn't need any more convincing. We're wasting tons of time trying to convince what's unconvincible. People believe that their head is them. So when the head says, oh, I'm not into AA... They believe they leave. When told they're in AA, they're at the meeting, they're sober, but their head's saying, I'm not sober, but you are sober. You're at the meeting. No, no, I'm not really sober. I'm thinking about something else, whatever. Don't why waste time convincing this? It's unconvincible. Knowing your gut, and that's that. Now you're surrendered. Let's get on with living. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean about surrendered. There's an understanding what so. I don't believe what my thoughts <coughs> imply or present, and I, therefore I take my orders from some other source. And that gets reinforced every day because those orders work. Simple as that. So the reliance is easy and easier to turn it over because it's proved its goods. Yeah? More and more, more reliability, more faith, and then more immunity to the thoughts. Yes, the lady. That was pretty much my question. Oh, great. Two and one. That's what I needed. Thank Thank you. That's it. Did you pass the basket? Paul will be giving one more talk tomorrow night, and then he'll be exiting New Jersey. So uh, we'll be here again tomorrow at 7.